when you have great coaches, then after you have great coaches, you get great players. You have a great organization, and you tell them one thing. Just win, baby. Are you looking for a podcast that brings you all the latest news and analysis on the silver and black? Carr from under center looks downfield, fires deep, complete. Waller's got it. How about interviews with A-list guests? Just pod, baby. Congrats on 100 episodes. I'm happy for you guys. Keep doing your thing, and thanks for having me, man. It was a blast. Look no further. You are listening to Just Pod, baby, a Las Vegas Raiders podcast, part of the Vegas Sports Today podcast network. Henry the speed touchdown car with another bomb and now your host evan grote raider nation let's go welcome to just pod baby i'm your host evan grote and the raiders they got it done again in week seven a convincing 33-22 win over the philadelphia eagles two in a row now as they head into the bye week in a really good position now in the afc playoff picture as the number two seed as it currently stands uh, some other news this week. Mark Davis was in the in the headlines as he spoke to reporters at the owners' meeting in New York City. I will get you some of my thoughts on that. Yannick Ngakwe was named AFC Defensive Player of the Week after his performance against the Eagles, well-deserved. Willie Sneed was released this week as well. No surprise there. He wasn't getting a whole lot of playing time. Um, and, and then we have the trade deadline approaching on Tuesday, November 2nd. Will Mike Mayock look to be a buyer or a seller? So there's a lot going on right Right now, also uh, this week, the plan is I want to discuss with you three players who have surprised me so far this season, as well as three players who have disappointed a little bit in my eyes. And we do have a great guest as well. Later in the show, we'll be speaking with Anthony Gelaviz from the Fresno Bee. Anthony is a good friend of the show. He's been on here a couple different times throughout the years, and he does a great job covering the team. We're going to get some of his thoughts on the Raiders 5-2 and two start. And what he thinks about the remaining 10 games on the schedule and how he th- sees things uh, shaking out here uh, for the Raiders. Now, I do have a quick announcement before we jump into it. I will be joining Scott and Mo this Sunday on Silver and Black Today game day. We'll be doing a little bit of Raiders roundtable discussion, so make sure you tune in for that. It's always a good time hopping on with those two. And uh, you can find that show on the Audacity app. Uh, For those of you that are not local to the Las Vegas area and and those of you that are local, tune in to 98.5 The Fan. Um, and that is, you, you can hear that at 9 to 10, p, uh, excuse me, 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific time and 12 to 1 uh, in the East. And finally, follow me on Twitter at egroat 5 and please subscribe to the show if you don't already. Okay, let's, let's dive into it now. Um, I want to begin with some discussion um, on the owners' meetings. And I know that may not be the most uh, stimulating conversation for you this week, but there isn't a game to discuss. So we're going to we're gonna take a look at some other things that are currently going on uh, with the team. And I think this was probably the biggest story of the week. Uh, Mark Davis was there in New York City, and, and he had a lot to say. And I, you know what? I commend him. I commend him for what he said. Um, you now, he still hasn't come out and, and addressed the, the situation with his own team, or or uh, he hasn't really addressed the fan base as the leader of the organization. So I, I still wish he would do that at this point. I don't think will, it will happen. Um, perhaps maybe after the season. I don't know. But it, it seems that uh, at least as of now, he's kind of put the, the ball back in the NFL's court, so to speak. And, and here's the quote from Davis. Uh Probably, yeah, Davis said when he was asked about uh, if he believes there should be a written report done 
uh, on the investigation, he said, I think that there should be. Yeah. Especially with some of the things that were charged. Yeah, I believe so. Especially the people who were, uh, quote victims. Now, now Davis is, is, has been pretty outspoken about this. Um, he's made a couple other little comments now the last couple of weeks. He's really going against the popular popular belief uh, with some of the other NFL owners. We learned on Wednesday that uh, Jerry Jones, owner of the Cowboys, you know, he says that he speaks for all league owners, that he was very satisfied with the punishment. And he approves the way the league handled um you know, again, the punishment for Daniel Snyder and the Washington football teams. Really? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's where you stand on it, Jerry Jones? Now, uh, that's a total disgrace, if you ask me. I mean, Jerry Jones, just stop talking, okay? Stop talking. That's what I say to you. Um, and I, I again, I commend uh, Mark Davis for being the first owner to say these things, having the guts to say it, uh, that the report should be released. And, um, you know... Uh, the, the the report it'll probably never happen. Goodell has already said as much that they they are not planning to release the findings in the investigation. I think Goodell he comes off as a total fraud right now with this. Uh, he's out there protecting the the bottom line at all costs, no matter how bad it makes him look, how bad it makes his league look. Uh, so I don't want to hear from Roger Goodell anymore with his um, talk about social justice causes, this and that. Put your money where your mouth is, Roger. Okay, if you are truly in support of all the different causes that are out there, all the different movements, then release the findings. Because to me, it looks like you are you are you're hiding info. Um, it, it it comes off to me as there's a lot more damaging information that is out there. That you don't want to get, that you don't want the, to be shared with the public. Why? Because it will tarnish your brand. It will, it could uh, hurt your bottom line. Okay, it won't bring down the league because the league is just no matter what happens. That the NFL is just so popular that, that that some people will watch no matter what. But it's all about money. No, we aren't dumb. We all understand this. We can all see what's going on. So I'm really down on Roger Goodell right now for the way he's handling this. He's a complete and utter phony, in my opinion. And that's just not because I'm a Raiders fan either. Not because I'm an upset Raiders fan. But uh, anyhow, I did see that Congress is now requesting to see all of the findings. Uh, Goodell did say that the league will fully cooperate with that investigation. I hope something comes from this. I really do. Um, if, if there's nothing to hide, if there's nothing damaging there, then release it. That's the way I see it. Now, on the other side of this, uh, Mark Davis has a, a complaint about the timing of the leaks. And again, the NFL um, continues to say they were not the source of the leak. Um, and I have to support Mark Davis with this. And again, not just because I'm a Raiders fan. I, I've told you, I did not have any emotional attachment to John Gruden. It's a bigger picture right now. That's what I'm looking at. The NFL learned about the emails that were sent by Gruden back in the summertime. And they waited. They sat on it until October to notify the owner of the team. That makes no sense to me. Davis has said he learned about the emails on Thursday before the uh, before the, the Chicago game, the Bears game. Okay, when they were released from the Wall Street Journal. That's how he found out. Not from the league itself. And and the league did not give any other details to Mark Davis until Friday before the game. Now say what you want about how Davis handled the situation from there. 
Okay, he probably should have put Gruden on some sort of administrative leave while they looked into what was going on. But the fact that they let Gruden go out there and coach, you know, that 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 kind of is a black eye on, on uh, Mark Davis right now. But the fact of the matter is the NFL knew about this and withheld that info. Why? That is what I want to know, and I think that's what Mark Davis wants to know as well. He asked Goodell this, actually, and, and he didn't get an answer. Surprisingly, right? Shocker. Shocker that Goodell took the coward way out and didn't respond. And so this is kind of where we're at right now with, with this with this story. You've got a multi-billion dollar business here with the NFL, some very powerful people, and they're just going to kind of sweep it under the carpet and hope that it all just goes away. It's sickening, um, but you know what? That That's how corruption works. This is not the, the first time this sort of thing has happened, and it certainly won't be the last time as well. But anyhow, I uh, I digress to a new topic now. Uh, the Raiders are in the bye week, so we don't have a game to preview. Uh, so I thought it would be a good time now to kind of take a look. We're only seven games into the schedule, still 10 left to go. Um, but I kind of want to take a look at some surprises as well as some disappointments so far this season. I'm going to start with my surprises. And you may agree with some of these. You may disagree. Uh, let me know. Reach out to me on Twitter and, and let me know what you think after you listen. Number one for me, the biggest surprise for me so far on this Raiders roster is Solomon Thomas. And I was hard on Solomon. You guys know that who, who are out there listening. When they brought him in, coming off of the four years in San Francisco when he was Pretty much unproductive. So only only six and a half sacks in four seasons. And then, of course, in the last year he was with them, he tore the ACL. So I, I just didn't love the move, to be honest. I wasn't sure if he would even make the roster, if you recall. But he did. And he's been he's been a pleasant surprise. I gotta give him his props. I gotta say that I was wrong. And now he is only a rotational player uh for the team right now in that defensive line. And the defensive line has really been the strength of the team. It really has. Um but he's been efficient with his snaps. He's only played in a hundred and excuse me, he's only played in two hundred and seventeen snaps. Um, but he's generated nineteen pressures, two and a half sacks. And the thing that I have liked from him the most are the forced fumbles. He's got two forced fumbles. Those are impact plays. You've heard me talk about those types of plays a lot. Those are the types of plays that you need to have on your defense in order to uh, be a game changing unit. And that's what they've been able to do this year. And so they've needed him. They really have. We talked. We, we heard a lot about the depth of this defensive line. And even with the injuries of Darius Phylon and Jonathan Hankins missed a game, you know, even with those injuries, they really haven't missed a beat because of guys like Solomon Thomas who have been there and they've been, been reliable. And, you know, he's been there to get them uh, a push from the inside of that defensive line. So I've been very, very happy with Solomon Thomas so far this season. The next player that I've been surprised with is Denzel Perryman. Now, he has been a great find. Not really a find. I mean, he's familiar with Gus Bradley's system, so it seemed like a natural fit. But he's been a good addition, I should say, to the Raiders' defense. He's brought an attitude to the middle of the defense that has been lacking, I think, for a long time. I mean, think about this. When is the last time the Raiders had a respectable, competent, reliable inside linebacker? It's been a hole for a long time. And he came in, he helped stabilize the group. There were some injuries before the season started with Nicholas Morrow and, and Javen White. You know, and I go back to when Perryman and K.J. Wright were, were brought in. I think it was in the same week. And and most of us, I know I did, assumed that K.J. Wright, he would have the, the bigger impact because of how he had been playing recently. He was on the NFL's top 100 list. Everyone was more hyped up about him. 
but it's Perryman who's been the bigger factor. So that's that's been a, a positive for this defense. Currently, he leads the NFL in tackles with 81, and he doesn't miss many tackles either. According to Pro Football Focus, he's only missed five tackles, five tackles, and he's he's involved, you know, in a lot of action. So that's a pretty pretty good number there, you know. And as long as he stays healthy, you know, he should continue to be a force in the middle for them. He's familiar with the defense, as I said. Uh, he gives this defense an edge, and he's a big hitter. <laughs> I mean, he he's a tone setter. He's out there just just you know, sacrificing his body. He's, you, you just got to really love the way he plays the game. He plays it with, with uh, what look, looks like little concern for his body. And, you know, that could be a good thing and also a bad thing as, just as long as he stays healthy, as I said. And, I, you know, so I've been very pleased with Perryman. The final player that I have on my list of surprises is Casey Hayward, another guy who is a former um, uh, Charger, uh, spent some time with Gus Bradley. And so... All three of the players that I chose as my surprises are players on the defensive side of the ball. I, I put Hayward on this list because for me, it's pretty obvious. He's been lights out. He's been unbelievable. And I recall many people out there when Hayward signed saying that oh, he was washed up. You know, he was coming off a down year. What does he have left? Well, currently, Pro Football Focus, he's, he is their number one graded cornerback right now. And that's incredible for a guy when you think about how late they signed him in free agency. I mean, they got him really, really late. And, uh, you know, some other stats for you. Hayward has played the most coverage snaps of any cornerback uh, without allowing a touchdown. 258 snaps without allowing a, without allowing a touchdown. That's really, that's really good. He's been targeted 22 times this season and has only allowed 10 catches. That's a 45.5% completion percentage allowed. And I went back. I wanted to see, you know, how good that was compared to some other top cornerbacks in the league. So I went and looked at the all-pro team from 2020, the first and second team. Here are some some really elite names for you. Jalen Ramsey, right? Right now, he's allowing a percentage of 69% passes completed. Xavier Howard, 52%. Tredavious White from Buffalo, 58.8%. And another really good corner, Jair Alexander from Green Bay, 57%. So... I mean, in in comparison to some of those top elite corners, he's significant. He's allowing significant, uh, a significantly lower percentage of passes to be completed on him. So he's playing really well right now, and he's a big part of why this defense has improved so much this year. So those were my three surprises, and and now what I'll do is I'll get you to my uh, disappointments, and and I and I'll start with the obvious one. I think this is probably where most people would go. With this, it has to be Alex Leatherwood, and 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 it kind of feels like piling on at this point. I mean, the the poor young man, he's been he's been getting he's been taking his bumps and, and his bruises right through the media and, and from the fan base. Um, but you know, I, I got to be fair. He he's been a big disappointment, especially with where he was uh, selected in the draft at the 17th overall pick. He's been a bust to this point. Obviously, it's still early, and there's still plenty of time for him to shed that label. But it has not gone well for that for for Leatherwood. He started the year at right tackle. He became such a liability there that they two weeks ago they moved him inside to guard, and he's been slightly better there. He hasn't been exposed out there on the island by himself, but just not playing up to the status of a top twenty pick overall, especially with, with the way the coaches talked him up. I mean, they made him sound like he was the next, uh, you know, Orlando Pace for crying out loud. They just talked about his pedigree and how athletic he was and, and this and that. I mean, we, we thought this guy was going to be an all pro the way they talked about him. 
Um, so, you know, I do expect it to get better for him. Um, and, and the way I see it, it's like this, you know, if Leatherwood can, can play, let's say eight years, uh, as a serviceable guard, you know, for the Raiders at the end of the day, you know, are we going to look back and complain? Maybe some will, you know, maybe some will. Um, you'd like to see more home runs being hit with those first round picks, of course, especially with some of the questionable picks that have been made over the years. So it's easy to question, but you know, as long as they can get this guy to play at a competent level, um, I think he can be salvaged. I don't think, you know, it's again, it's only seven games into his career. Um, but, uh, if they can get this guy on track and, and get him to be a solid contributor, you know, for a six to eight years, you know what, I, I think most Raider fans will tell you that they're pretty satisfied. And, and you got to keep in mind, he started out at right tackle, and that's a position that he never played in college. So there, there is a big learning curve there. Who knows, maybe at some point they do bump him back out to tackle. We'll just have to wait and see. Uh, the second player that I have uh, on my list of disappointments is Josh Jacobs. And, you know, not all his fault. Um, the offensive line has struggled uh, with run blocking. Uh, they've gotten it going a little bit as of late. But for me, the, the biggest uh, concern that I have with Josh Jacobs are the injuries. And he's already missed two games this year, left last week's game against the Eagles. And, and who knows? Who knows? If they had a game this week, if they were not on the bye week, would he play? Well, we don't know. We don't know. Um, it's a huge concern. The, the guy just cannot stay healthy. And and uh, it's obviously you know part of the reason why they went out and paid Kenyon Drake what they did. Uh, they knew that they had to put big money into a backup running back with, with uh, the injury concerns that Josh Jacobs has. You have to have a competent back behind Jacobs. You just do. And, you know, he's missed games every year of his career, and he's still so young. He's only 23 years old. That is not something that I think is going to improve as he gets older. I just don't see it. The more wear and tear that he puts on that body, I don't see the injury history uh, improving. So that's the way I see it. Uh, in in my personal opinion, I don't think he sees a second contract with the Raiders. Or I, I guess I should say, I'm not sure if he deserves a second contract contract with the Raiders. I love the player. This is not, uh, I'm not hating on Josh Jacobs. I love the kid. I love his story. I love everything about him. I love, he's got a great attitude, great work ethic from what we hear, great locker room guy. Um, but I just wish he could stay healthy. And, and um, what we have seen in, in, uh, from other teams is that you don't have to invest a first round pick in a starting running back. You can get a, a more than capable guy in third round, fourth round, fifth round, in some cases, uh, undrafted free agents. I mean, that's a little bit more rare, but uh, you just don't have to invest a lot of money in a running back. Look at Christian McCaffrey. He got that big money deal, I think it was two years ago. Now the guy has not stayed healthy ever since. So I think teams... Um, should spend a little bit more time before they throw a lot of money uh, into a running back. So because of that, I don't think Jacob sees that second contract. Um, but uh, in my opinion, both from a statistical perspective and health, Jacobs has been a bit of a disappointment uh, so far this year. And that brings me to my final name here. Not the best timing with this one. I'll agree with you on that, but give me a minute to uh, defend it. I'm going to go with Foster Moreau. Okay, hear me out. Prior to week seven... Moreau had four catches, 53 yards, and one touchdown. Okay, he was excellent 
in Week 7 filling in for Darren Waller against the Eagles. Six catches, 60 yards, and a touchdown. But overall this season, I'm looking at the big picture right now, I was expecting more from Foster. Much like with Josh Jacobs, not all his fault. Not all his fault. But I was expecting him to carve out a much larger role. Um, And I think part of that problem has been the emergence of Henry Ruggs and Brian Edwards. And I think you could throw in Kenyon Drake a little bit too. You know, he's been uh, um, involved a little bit more in the passing game. And I think that might have taken some of the the targets away from Moreau. Um, So not all his fault. Uh, But the other part of my disappointment with Moreau is with his blocking. And and I I, I can think of a, a few different instances where he was in a one-on-one blocking situation, and he was totally overmatched by the guy he was up against giving up a sack or a tackle for loss. Think about the Chicago Bears game. I can think of at least two times he he was blown up and, and, and um, just overmatched. So, so overall, I know that he can't control how he is utilized in the passing game. He's a very talented guy. We, see, we, we saw what he can do with uh, an expanded role. Uh, but we did hear a lot about him as a potential breakout candidate throughout training camp. just hasn't happened yet. So maybe uh, after his performance in Week 7, maybe they will start to call his number a little bit more. So tell me what you think. That's my list. Three disappointments, three surprises. Uh, tweet, tweet at me. Uh, DM me. Let me know if you agree with my list. And if not, who are the guys you would put on your list? All right, guys, time for me to get to a quick break. And when I return, we will touch on the trade deadline. Will the Raiders be buyers or sellers? And what's going to happen with Cleveland Farrell? Will they decide to deal the former first-round overall pick? And, of course, you don't want to miss my conversation with Anthony Galaviz of the Fresno Bee. Still a lot to do here on Just Pod Baby, part of the Vegas Sports Today podcast network. You're listening to Just Pod Baby. Part of the Vegas Sports Today Podcast Network. Let's go! And now, back to your host, Evan Grote. Welcome back, Just Pod Baby, the bye week edition. Raider Nation's upset. There's no game to get ready for this week. What are we going to do on Sunday, right? Well, I'm hoping we can help get you through to the Giants game. And speaking of that Giants game, when the Raiders return from the bye week. They got a really tough four-game stretch here that I think is going to be a pivotal point in the season. Um, And I think, you know, going East Coast to New Jersey to to face the Giants, Giants are not a very good team. It's a game the Raiders should win. But what we have seen in the last two years when they had similar trips to play the Jets did not go as according to plan. Uh, They followed that up with a, a home game versus the Chiefs. I know the Chiefs look really lost right now, but they are going to be fighting and, and, and scratching to get back into this thing here, this this playoff hunt. Um, and then you got the Bengals, who are, are the number one seed in the AFC right now. I know that's hard to believe, but they're playing really well. That offense, led by Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, uh, looks really, really good. And then uh, you got the Thanksgiving matchup in Dallas, and Dallas is playing really well as well. So there's going to be some tests coming up for this Raiders uh, team here in the month of November. Also coming up in the month of November is the trade deadline, uh, November 2nd to be exact. And I don't get the sense that Mike Mack will be looking to add many people. Um, And if I had to point to one position that maybe they'd be looking to shore up, I would think it would be the offensive line. I know they did sign DJ Fluker recently, but maybe there's another player that will be out there that, uh, you know, could be had for the right price. Uh, I think if you're looking at a name or two that could be dealt 
it has to start with Cleveland Farrell. It just makes too much sense right now for the former first-round pick. Um, he's still young. There might be a team out there who think they can they can get him right, they can get the best out of him. Um, he's played only 95 snaps this season, well behind many of the other defensive linemen, three tackles, five pressures, and, and zero sacks. So he's just... Um, He's just not getting an opportunity. He's so far down the the depth chart at this point. It doesn't even make sense to really keep him around, especially if you can get rid of him for for you know for a decent mid round pick, fourth round pick. I would say should be enough to pull the trigger. It's time for Mayock to admit it was a mistake, and, and just cut his losses and get what they can get for Farrell right now. And if I had to guess another name, I'd look at Nick Kwiatkowski. Um, he's behind Perryman, he's behind Littleton, and he's behind KJ Wright right now for snaps. He's played only 67 snaps himself all season. Um, I, I do assume at some point you're going to get Morrow back as well as Javen White. And uh, when that happens, he really won't touch the field. He'll just be further down the, the, the depth chart. And, and I think um, if there is one thing that could make moving him difficult, it would be the contract. Now remember, he did restructure. Uh, this year, so he's making 2.4 million this year, but next year that number jumps to 8.2 million. So that could make things uh, very tricky. That could be an obstacle if they are looking to possibly move him. Okay, let's shift gears now. And what I want to do now is I want to go out to the guest line and welcome in our friend Anthony Galaviz, who covers the Raiders for the Fresno Bee. Anthony, long time no talk. Glad to have you with us here again. How are you, my friend? Uh, thanks for having me, Evan. Yes, yes. Love chatting with you. Uh, and there is a lot that I want to discuss with you uh, this week. The Raiders are off to a really good start at 5-2, and two, currently the number two seed in the AFC playoff picture, despite the controversy with the now former head coach, John Gruden. And I'm curious to know what you think about the performance to this point uh, from the Raiders. Are you at all surprised by how well this team is playing to start the season? I'm definitely surprised of how they started off the season, but 5-2, and two. I mean, you know, before the season started, I had them, I projected them to be a three or four heading to the bye week. And so for them to be five and two, this really has uh, caught me by surprise. And, uh, you know, being there at the game for the first game against the Baltimore Ravens, you could, you know, you could probably see a little bit of it. But yeah, I mean, I was surprised. No, I don't think anybody else projected the Ravens being five and two. If you think about it, maybe they should be six of one. I mean, that loss to the Bears looks bad, but still, to be them to start five and two, that's not too shabby. I mean, that's a pretty darn good start for the Raiders. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. I did not. I did not uh, project them to go five and two here in the first seven games. I think I was thinking along the same lines as you of maybe three and four or or four and three. But you're right. I think they very well could be six and one. Really, if you could, if you think about the way they played in that Bears game. And you know, I mentioned John Gruden, uh, the controversy with him, forced to resign. Rich Basaccia, he 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 is thrust into a, a really difficult spot, but he seems to be really handling it well. I would say that uh, the team has probably played their two most complete games under Basaccia. He's pushing all the right buttons right now. And in, in your opinion, what is it about Coach that has the team playing so well right now? They just love him. I mean, that, that's the bottom line. I mean, dealing with special teams, he's dealing with the players, you know, all the time, you know, not just 10 players, more than 10 players. And they've grown to him ever since he got to the Raiders. And, you know, people talked about, oh, when is his opportunity coming? 
Well, his opportunity is here now, and the players are responding. I mean, the game against Denver, I never thought they were going to play that way. I honestly thought they were going to come in and just ha- fall flat, to be honest with you, you know, after what happened through the week with Rudin. But no, they, they came together. They said, hey, let's do it for coach. And they did. I mean, <laughs> I mean, and then you look at last week's game against the Eagles. Oh, my goodness. I mean, when's the last time you saw a Raider team blowing out another team? I mean, that, 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 to me, that shows me that the players are doing it for him. You know, they're coming together as one, doing it for Coach Basaccia. And, you know, I, I'm even thinking about writing a story pretty soon. You know, I'm just going to keep my eye on see how they do. But, you know, as far as taking the inner, you know, tag off, you know, off, the, off him, I mean – it speaks volumes of how the team is just rallying around him and just performing and doing what they're practiced to do. And, you know, it just, honestly, these last two weeks, I did not see that coming. I mean, I, you know, past Raider, past Raider team, you've seen it. Raider nation's seen it. A coach, a coach is gone. Players check out. And like they talked about in press conference, this is still early in the season. We got a lot to play for, and they recognize that, and that's why you see well, what they've done in the past two weeks. Yeah, and, and you know, you you mentioned that the players kind of doing it for coach and, and rallying around him, and I think what he's doing for the players is he's allowing them to lead. You know, he's he's letting his his leaders in that locker room, Max Crosby, Derek Carr. He's given those guys the responsibility, and I think they're embracing that responsibility, and they're playing a lot more carefree. And, you know, speaking of Derek Carr as one of those leaders, I know that you've been covering Derek Carr for quite a while now, dating back to his days at Fresno State, and he is the reason for the team's success right now in offense. I've been particularly impressed with him, how he has handled the loss of Gruden. You know, because they had such a close relationship and Gruden was so hands-on with Derek Carr from the day-to-day uh, things and practices, the meetings, the the the, the um, designing the game plans, uh, I expected there to be a bit of a letdown, but we have not seen that. Um, Derek Carr has, has played two of his, uh, probably arguably his best games of the season since Gruden resigned. What's your take on that? You know, seeing Derek... Ever since his days at Fresno State, you know we've seen it here in Fresno of what he's capable of doing. And you know when he joined the Raiders in 2014, when he was drafted by the Raiders in the second round. Uh, obviously, you know he's going to be learning throughout those years. But then looking at this year, 2021, you're seeing the different Derek Carr. I mean, it, I mean you you've seen in 2016 as well where he he had an MVP type season. Now you're seeing it again, and for him to understand the playbook and being with Greg Olson, you know, knowing the playbook and just not, there's the terminology is not going to, not going to change. It's going to be the same, but for him to come in and lead the offense, I mean, just speaks volumes of what the type of player he is on off the field. I mean, he wants to win, you know, he's just cast year is the reason why he didn't win because he didn't have a defense. And a lot of people talk about not having the defense. Imagine what type of defense he would have like he has now. It's just showing. I mean, last year, you know, the offense was playing well, but the team lost because the defense did not play up to the, what they were supposed to be doing. 
Now you're seeing that this year he has a defense, and now you're seeing the reverse results of what you accustomed to seeing in past years. But, you know, going back to Derek, though, is just the way he's leading the team is just, I mean, to me, it's not surprising because he's done it here at Federal State, and he's doing it again in, in this on this next level where he's just bringing all of his offensive guys together, sharing the ball around. You know, there was a lot of talk about, oh, Darren Waller was targeted like a 1,900 times in the week, week one. No, he's sharing the ball. I mean, it's just, he has a lot of weapons. He has what he needs, finally, you know, and it, it, it just, you see his statistics, it's showing. And the most important statistic is the win and loss. He's winning games, you know, they're winning games. And so, you know, that's their leader. And you've seen that one game where it looked scary. I forget which game it was, but he was on the field. And the team was around here like, oh, what's going on here? And then he gets up. So, I mean, he, yeah, it's, he's having a heck of a season so far. Anthony Galaviz of the Fresno Bee is our guest here this week on Just Pod Baby. And Anthony, earlier in the show, I was talking about players who have surprised me in a good way, as well as guys I've been a little bit disappointed with. So I'd like to hear from you what you think. If you had to pick one player for each of those, who would they be starting with someone that's been disappointing to you? You know, I want to see a little bit more out of Damon Arnett. And unfortunately, he's been injured. And, uh, you know, a lot of of people talk about, like, they want to see – they want to see, you know, some production from him. And unfortunately, you know, nobody's going to have seen that because of his injury. So that's in, in that sense, has been a disappointment because, you know, obviously he's a first-round draft pick in last year's draft. And so you want to see more out of him. So I've been disappointed from that end of wanting to see more out of him. So, I mean, when he comes back from injury, whatever that is, uh, obviously he's not going to – be thrown in a starter because you know you couldn't have Trayvon Nolan back, and then you know you got Casey Hewer on the other end starting. So on, on, on that front, yeah, I, I've been disappointed so far with David Arnett because of his obviously. His, I mean, I don't crucify him for his injury, but you know it happens in the NFL. But I like to see more out of him when he, he does come back. Yeah, and, and what about a guy who you've been pleasantly surprised with? You know what? That's hard to pick because it's just everybody just producing. I mean, it's hard to pick one. You know, all these guys are just, you know, producing. I mean, if I had to pick one, it might be Brian Edwards. I mean, he's he's been making big catches and I don't know. You know, it's hard no, that's to a good one. one. That's a good you one, know? actually. Brian Edwards is a good one. I hadn't thought about that, but you're right. He's come up big. Um, you know, he's definitely uh, become a, a viable threat for Derek Carr. So I, I do like that one. Um, I, I want to look ahead now to the second half uh, of the season. I think we are going to learn a lot about this team uh, in, the, in the first four games following the bye week, starting with an East Coast trip. Uh, to play the Giants, then they're coming back home to Vegas to face the Chiefs. In Week 11, it's a game against uh, which which could have a lot of uh, major playoff seeding implications against the Bengals, and then a Thanksgiving matchup in Dallas. Now, I know the Giants aren't a very good team right now, uh, but those East Coast trips have been a problem in the past, and the Chiefs are struggling too. But what's your thoughts on the Raiders' four games following the bye week? You know, these next four games are very critical in the sense that, you know, when I did look at the schedule, when they come back from the bye, when they come back to bye, you know, you, you talked about it already. Giants, you know, and then you got the Chiefs. You got the Chiefs and you got the Bengals. Yep. 
I mean, these are critical games. And, you know, the scary part is the Giants because you don't know what you're going to get out of Giants because who's, who's going to be available for the Giants? Saquon Barkley, he's injured. He might return in his first game against the uh, Raiders. I mean, yeah, I know he played early in the season, but he's been banged up. But, you know, these next four games are going to show a lot about the Raiders. Like, are they for real? And I talked about, I wrote a story this past week about, like, is it time to take the Ra- Raiders seriously? And these next four games are going to show a lot about the Raiders. Like, are they contenders or pretenders? And I don't believe that they're pretenders. I firmly believe that they're, you know, a playoff contention team, you know, that actually get that X next to it to get in the playoff club. But you look at these games coming up, I mean, they're not, there are no easy game on the schedule at all. I mean, before you look at Cincinnati, you're like, oh, that's an automatic win. Not so much now. So look how they're playing. They're, that's another surprising team in the AFC. And so, yeah, I mean, ooh, you know, first thing first is against the Giants. You know, they got to get that win. It's a winnable game, but then you got to look, you can't look ahead to Kansas City because then if you look ahead, then you got the what, you got called this what, a trap game. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> you got to take care of business. And you're, they're capable of uh, taking care of business against the Giants. But this is a critical stretch. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, uh, you know, I've been saying uh, I, I think this team is built a little bit differently than what we've seen from some of those teams in 2019 and 2020, which I don't need to remind Raider fans, you know, collapse down the stretch. I think this team is built different. I think they avoid the second half collapse this year. Uh, but thank you so much, Anthony. Be sure to go out there and give Anthony a follow on Twitter. That's at a Galavis underscore the B. As always, I appreciate your time, Anthony. Thanks for chatting with us and keep up the good work. I appreciate it, Evan. Take it easy. All right. Well done there by Anthony Galaviz, our guest from the Fresno Bee, getting some of his thoughts on all things Raiders. Uh, it is time for me to say goodbye this week. Be sure to tune in to Silver and Black Today game day on Sunday morning to hear Scott Gilbranson, Mo Moten, and myself chat it up for you. Uh, just some more Raiders content for you to get your fix, get your fix, and get you through to week nine. Take care, everyone. Happy Halloween. Stay safe out there. And until the next time, I am your host, Evan Grote. And as always, just win, baby.